Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, we're talking about Taro, which is a new protocol being proposed by the Lightning Labs team. And joining me today is Laulu, also known as Roast Beef. He is the CTO of Lightning Labs. He's been a guest on the show I think three or four times in the past. Today, we talk about how Taro works as well as contrasting it with prior efforts in this space, things like colored coins, counterparty, RGB. We talk about some of the benefits of the Taro approach, what it would look like in practice, as well as Lightning Network, just in general, how it's growing and developing, as well as some discussion on CTV and ST. So that's check template verify and speedy trial. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. Swan also has a service called Swan Private. This one is for high net worth investors and entity customers who have a business that they want to stack with. Now, with Swan Private, you have access to a Bitcoin advisor that is your one-on-one contact, your person who you can call, you can pick up the phone or you can email. And this is something that many customers have found really handy because it's that service difference. It's having somebody who can actually pick up the phone or answer your questions and get you some help in a prompt manner. Also, Swan Private customers receive the Swan Private Insight Monthly Research Report. So that is also there for Swan Private customers only. Go and check it out. The website is swanprivate.com. Now, if you're involved in Bitcoin mining, you have to check out Brains.com. Brains offer Brains OS Plus. This is aftermarket third-party firmware that you can install on your ASIC mining machine to increase your hash rate. You might improve your efficiency as much as 25%. And you can use it to mine on any pool, or if you point your hash power towards slash pool, you get the added benefit of 0% pool fees. Now go to the website and check out the supported models, but here's here are some currently. So S19, S19 Pro, S19J, S19J Pro, T19, uh, a range of the S17s, and they've got in the development pipeline Watts Miner M20S and the Ant Miner X19 models. So make sure you check out their website. That's brains.com, and that is spelled B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Do you need some fiat liquidity without selling your Bitcoin? Lend at HODL HODL can help you. They have a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can anonymously borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin. So what's happening here is you are entering into an over-collateralized Bitcoin collateralized loan. And on the other side, the other party is putting up stablecoins. And then at the end of that term, you pay back the stablecoins plus the interest and you receive your Bitcoin back. So at Lend, at HODL HODL, all these deals are happening directly between users. So you can go to the website, you can search the offers that are up there, or you can put up your own offer if you don't see one that matches the terms that you are looking for. And so when you put up that offer, you can put up how much you want to borrow and what interest rate you are looking to pay. So go and check it out. That website is lend.hodlhodl.com. And now onto the show with Lalu. Lalu, welcome back to the show. Yo, what's up? It's been a while. You know, I think I was on last like maybe a year or two ago, but uh, you know, I was good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while. Unfortunately, we didn't, as I was saying uh, before, we didn't get a chance to catch up at uh, Miami, but uh, excited to chat a little bit about what's going on in the world of Lightning and Taro, and maybe we'll touch on the CTV stuff as well. We'll see. So just before the Bitcoin 2022 conference, Lightning Labs dropped the news about Taro, this new taproot-based protocol that can operate kind of with Lightning or on top of Lightning. I guess people can debate that part. So do you want to tell us a little bit about like what was the motivator behind that? Uh, really good question. I mean, so I think the motivator was, um, you can say like, 
you know, somewhat of like a perception, kind of like a gap in the market, but at the same time, kind of like some opportunity uh, there as well too, just as far as like, you know, us thinking, okay, like, you know, how else can we kind of like really take lightning to the next level as far as like, you know, kind of like increasing the amount of users that can be using it itself, but also kind of like increasing kind of like the total set of individuals that kind of like can use it to actually get onto the Bitcoin itself, right? So, uh, you know, I came up with like the concept like sometime like probably like last September or so, and that was kind of like, you know, just like the initial idea, kind of like building up an inkling. Then I started to kind of like develop the protocol a bit more, you know, went decided to go with more of like the bit route as far as like getting the initial specification out first for doing, doing any of the code that was kind of like you know some sort of the story to like actually getting the idea and like kind of like you know uh, doing that um, aspect of it itself and it was just mainly just based on offers like taught us talk to people like you know in the industry basically as far as like, what their needs are you know different potential also talking to individuals that maybe were kind of like you know outside looking into bitcoin but not really sure because maybe they felt like they were kind of like you know missing some particular um you know aspects or they're kind of like you know trying to make things a little bit more uh easier to the consumer i think the other thing that we all saw as well was kind of like some of the things going on bitcoin beach as far as like you know them kind of like you know running that pilot and actually getting a lot of, a lot of people onto bitcoin itself and kind of like that some of their challenges as far as like, you know, being able to, you know, display balance to users or kind of like give users that extra ability that they, they need to maybe like hold another asset on the side as well. Yeah. And so it seems that as I read you then, it's also that people in the developing world tend to want to have USD in their wallet as well as Bitcoin. And so as I understand you then, it's like this idea is you're trying to create a bridge for them to be able to use kind of like stable coins, but on lightning, as opposed to the tether stable coin, as an example, or just sort of trusting the wallet provider with that balance, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of a thing where, uh, you know, I think by kind of going, going for the protocol first, not really kind of like, you know, picking who the winners are, kind of like who's actually issuing these assets or stable coins or whatever else. You know, we're kind of like being a little more agnostic in that in that domain. For example, other individuals that maybe are doing stable coins in other chains, like can actually come over and then issue them on tower as well, too, if they really wanted to. So it's kind of like a thing by, you know, by kind of like going for the protocol first, we kind of create that inter- interoperable layer that actually like allows people to like, you know, latch into the stuff, right? I think from my point of view, I think there's also kind of like a sort of like a gap in the market as far as like, you know, giving developers that wanted to kind of like mess with other assets of Bitcoin, kind of like that, like very intuitive. API, right? As far as being, being very Bitcoin-like, right? Gotcha. But, you know, there were things that, you know, that, the, that came up in the past, but like those things may be almost like eight plus years old now and like very kind of like, you know, ancient as far as like Bitcoin design and things move very, very quickly. So I think it was also kind of like an opportunity gotcha. to kind of like, you know, take some of the new modern principles and show people like what this protocol would look like uh, in, in, in real in real life as well too. But also I think uh, kind of like, you know, enable like more kind of like an sort of infrastructure as well too. You know, for example, something like this, someone could basically do something like, you know, a USD Bitcoin swap on chain. It's just kind of like a, you know, multi-input, multi-input transaction itself, right? So I think it's kind of like that motive as well to be being able to kind of like you know leverage uh you know what people are doing elsewhere but you know bring back to bitcoin we also give those developers a little bit more to tinker with because like it's kind of a thing where it's like you know you get developers like that one api and like they'll do magical stuff with it basically so it's kind of like both you know kind of like enabling uh you know people on lightning itself growing the size of lightning uh you know and kind of like the marketplace and other individuals working on it but also giving people you know kind of like more of that free energy to build new protocols on top of it as well we definitely got a lot of interest so far from people like you know either in other chains that maybe aren't really working or you know have downtime <laughs> or you know people wanting to come back and actually like you know realize a lot of things on Bitcoin. So definitely super exciting. Interesting. Yeah. And that's a good point you make, actually, because it's not that there's going to be one stable coin. There may be Tether Taro, for example, right? The, uh, just like there's Tether on you know, Tron and some of these other things. Yeah. But it's a random te- yeah, liquid, yeah, you know? So exactly, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about some of your view of the history of some of these ideas? Because as I see it, there's things like colored coins, counterparty, and RGB as perhaps preceding ideas to to this idea. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the contrast then between Taro and the approach of some of those other ideas like colored coins and so on? 
Yeah, yeah, really good question. You know, yeah, because like, you know, this stuff goes pretty far back, right? You can say like the first, you know, meta assets, quote unquote, actually issued on Bitcoin. You know, people kind of like in had a way to say, okay, we can kind of like represent, you know, uh, either with the Bitcoin itself or maybe even kind of like embed data within the chain, like use that to actually create assets and stuff, right? So people don't know, like, you know, I'm probably going to get like the name mixed up as far as Counterparty versus Mastercoin. Back in the day, like there was kind of like this, um, you know, system, uh, you know, called Counterparty Mars or, you know, Counterparty back then it was basically trying to create this like meta protocol on top of Bitcoin itself, right? And what they did, they kind of like, uh, you know, had this protocol where you actually burned a bunch of Bitcoin. I think back to maybe like 5,000 plus Bitcoin were actually burned. So there was just like special like, you know, Bitcoin eaters or something like that. People basically burned, you know, coins to send them to that address. And they got this thing called XCP in return, which is this kind of like, you know, counterparty token that was going to be used as far as like this layer on top of it, right? So in that case, like, you know, it was basically using the Bitcoin chain as kind of like, you know, anchoring of actually submitting data into the chain itself. You can imagine like, let's say Bitcoin, like, you know, has some other chain that actually submitted transaction data directly to the chain itself and then interpreted that transaction data as far as like, uh, you know, the raw data. And that was actually using something called op return, right? So the way it worked, you basically kind of like, you know, would have like an op return and people, people would affect to be like scanning the chain, you know, applying the data in the op return into like the local database. Someone tries to people like, you know, maybe use the mempool or the actual chain or something like that itself, right? So that kind of like, you know, was a thing initially. Um, you know, I feel like uh, I remember back then there was much more focused around kind of like, you know, quote unquote, like smart property as far as like, you know, doing different smart property stuff or kind of like, you know, interpreting, uh, you know, plots of land or things like that, which I guess is, you know, coming back, you know, somewhat now. Um, but I think back then it didn't really take off that, that, that large. I think a lot of people got more excited about it. But I think other systems that came up afterwards that maybe like made entirely new chains kind of like took away some of that energy and the that, that other way. But I think the main thing that came out of that was basically Tether as far as like them issuing that initially, which was very, very early on and it was super small. Now it's like billions. Back then it was basically like, you know, nothing uh, nearly at that point too, right? But, but I was thinking some of the issues with that, I think were like, number one, it's like not very like black client friendly, right? So to begin, to begin with, because you actually require like an individual basically scan the entire chain to kind of like, you know, process all of these opportunities to the chain itself. In order to do that effectively, you basically need to be a full node, right? But on top of it being a full node, uh, there's actually another thing, um, you know, as far as being able to index them a little more quickly, like an address index basically. Address index is something on top of the uh, normal, you know, blockchain itself that can let you kind of like you know take a map of an address basically all the transactions that are, that are in the chain right that's another thing that's very very intensive and you're know, very um you know difficult to maintain as far as like this space moves like to electrum you know, maybe it's going to add like 300 or 400 gigabytes to the, to the actual chain itself right so i think that was the one thing there i think the other thing uh, as far as like, the difference approach within now and then is that like you know that was kind of like you know trying to map because like kind of like an account-based model onto bitcoin itself right as far as like i have my account like i have you know i'm actually like adding like modif modifying transactions to the chain itself i can scan all those i can apply all those you know um you know modifications in, in, in order basically to get up to my final state, right? And you know, I think that was kind of like a departure because if you look at the docs or something like that, like it's very hard for like a Bitcoin developer to understand. They're kind of like, okay, well, what am I really doing here? I have this other key, there's all these like weird fuels, things like that. So I think that uh, you know that's one reason I don't think it really um, you know, took up that far. And I think at that point too, like you know, it was less less seeming really less seemingly kind of like more developer friendly uh, than some things that you know uh, people are working on today, right? Um, and uh, you know, so that was like you know the counterparty um, you know magic one error basically. You know, at that point, like people ended up making you know other chains and kind of like you know left that project, but then Tether came out of it and like installed still uh you know look, look elsewhere and then i think for a while there's kind of like a you can say like like a doldrum and kind of like you know activity in the space you know probably like you know seven or so years past and there's really no activity in that space itself i think part of it was that like i think people were very much you know turned off to basically the counterparty type um you know approach to basically embedding data into the chain itself right so you know, this was like you know back the back at this point like opportunity was a thing it was somewhat controversial but like oh, you're adding more data to the chain i think even back then like there's something called bare multi which was basically actually like inserting you know like so you can say we basically have like you know a p2sh where you kind of like actually have the script where you have the hash of the script and the chain was, you know, very compact, right? Back then, there was something called multi which basically you actually put the actual pub key uh, multi-sig script in the in the actual output itself, right? So you basically put, you know, 20 pub keys, you know, 15 or 20 basically in check multi-sig, right? So they actually started to use that as well to actually commit data. So that was kind of like the big thing of like, oh, you know, the developers are like, you know, not making up return a thing. They're like, you know, restricting the size for whatever else. So that kind of like caused some controversy, 
controversy back then, right? So, so I think I think all the other approaches since then have basically tried to take advantage of like, okay, well, let's not necessarily try to commit all the data onto the chain. Let's just try to like, you know commit you know the data itself basically, and then kind of like have that data be hosted off chain. That's kind of like you know similar uh, you know paradigm of something like you know Tara, right? And then I then I would say you know after that there was something uh, you know kind of like RGB like the concept you can say, and that was something you know uh, popularized by people like uh, you know Peter Todd uh, and Giacomo and a bunch of developers that they ended up like you know, kind of like you know, building around the community a little bit later, and that was kind of like you know based on the concept. You know, at least back then, you know, maybe a little bit different now, but okay, like, you know, rather than actually, uh, you know, commit or rather than actually embed all the data into the chain, just maybe commit to it in some, you know, kind of like manner, right? And I think, you know, it kind of like stayed in that concept for a while. I think later on, people started to actually like, you know, take it and have like a lot more, you know, concrete proposals as far as like implementing it, you know, things like that as well, too. Um, you know, I think between, you know, then and kind of like, you know, now, I know it was kind of like, you know, running as like a concept, but it was always kind of like unclear exactly like, you know, how much they were trying to like really take it to market, right? Or kind of like, you know, deliver on that itself. I know there were a few different teams uh, that were kind of like working on the protocol itself and they're they writing a lot of code, you know, as well too. But, you know, it didn't really seem like, um, you know, exactly what they're going to do with it. And I think one thing uh, you kind of compared um, between Taro as well as like, you know, Taro like, like, tries to be like very specific as far as, okay, we're just going to like do assets on the chain itself, right? We're going to be like, you basically issue assets and then move assets and also kind of like make sure we have that like lightning integration kind of like something first class. While something like RGB, like I think it ended up kind of like, you know, blowing up a little bit to kind of like, you know, taking on like a lot more ambitious, uh, you can say like uh, endeavors, right? You know, uh, so initially they kind of like started with the core thing. Then there was kind of like this PDP layer. There's a bunch of like, you know, other protocols on top of those, like a whole VM, which is, you know, trying to be like, you know, uh, like a more generalized smart contract platform, kind of like an ETH killer type of thing as well, too. So I think that like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, happened for a few years or so. And I think that maybe is like what caused them to kind of like, you know, work on other things on the side. Because I think it's very like, you know, it's, a, it's definitely, definitely very tempting as an engineering debate to like, you know, try to like always solve the bigger and bigger problem, basically. They'll get like nerd sniped into the next thing on the side. I think that maybe happened, you know, a bit to them, which, you know, I've always been, you know, in that uh, avenue uh, as, as well, too. But then I think Taro tries to basically like, you know, strip things down to basically be as simple as possible, right? So it's one of the things where it's like, you know, doing the design phase, I try to make sure like, you know, it was going to be easy to implement and also easy to understand, right? I think that's something that's very, I think, very worthwhile as well, too. Because if you're able to kind of like, you know, simplify and like actually restrict yourself design-wise, that makes, that lets you kind of like, you know, minimize complexity, basically, and then make sure that you can basically understand it yourself and make sure other individuals can understand it as well, too. So as much as possible, Tara tries to like, you know, kind of like reuse existing components that are actually already in Bitcoin, right? So for example, you know, rather than like actually making like an entirely new VM, it's like, okay, well, I already have Bitcoin script. You know, I'm not like a computer architecture expert. Basically, let me just reuse what I have over here, right? And the thing that's really cool. At the same time, like that also makes it very familiar to Bitcoin developers, right? So, like, let's say you know you're kind of like you know writing like um you know an asset or kind of like you know do like trying to incorporate some asset with a script and tower layer. It looks very much like Bitcoin, right? It's actually just Taproot, right? So you know, similarly today, as you can actually you can actually have like you know multiple scripts in Taproot and have multi-sig. Tower has the exact same thing as well too, right? Uh, and like the one other thing it does, uh, you know, as well too, you know, it has a similar thing where it actually embeds all of the asset data like, directly within the UTXO itself, right? Uh, and like you know doing that makes things a lot easier because you kind of like have like a very structured commitment format uh, within things work today, right? So like, I think in the past, people had a bunch of different ideas around like, you know, contract hash and like, you know, other ways to commit to data. But I'm like, uh, one of the insights was, like, okay, well, where do you have the Taproot tree? Taproot tree kind of like has, give us like a very structured way to commit to scripts. What if we basically leverage that itself to kind of like, you know, have that like uh, Merkle root path from the Taproot tree basically into Tower line. That's kind of like how it works, right? So... So we're talking ourselves, it's kind of like a tree of trees, right? And the, the tree structures, there's like two different types of tree structures. One is called like Merkle sum tree. So people know, people know Merkle tree today where we basically let you kind of like, you know, reveal that like, uh, you know, uh, like Elmo is basically part of a particular set. This is using Bitcoin today because like, for example, like I can like, you know, prove to you my introduction in the block by, you know, shooting, by giving you a Merkle proof from, from the block header down to my introduction itself, right? That's really cool. The, the next thing Merkle sum leaf does is, or a tree is like says, okay, well, you know, in addition to committing to the actual uh, element, we're also going to commit to kind of like some data, maybe in, in form of like a value, right? And this is really cool because all of a sudden now, 
now I can also prove to you that, okay, well, you know, I have a Bitcoin output that's worth like five BTC or something like that, right? And because the actual root sum also commits to like the sum of all of the uh, the leaves themselves up below, that can let me do kind of like very cool structured proofs, right? Then the final take on that is something called like a sparse Merkle tree, which has been used elsewhere. It was basically kind of like, you know, let you do, you know, efficient proofs of non-inclusion, right? So, you know, let's say I wanted to like prove to you that, okay, well, an element is not actually within the Merkle tree. That That's kind of like difficult depending on like, number one, is the Merkle tree sorted or not? If it's not sorted, then basically I basically need to like, you know, reveal effectively every single other element within the tree itself. If it is sorted, maybe I can reveal like the left and the right and show you that basically it should be somewhere in the middle, but that's maybe like a slightly larger proof itself, right? And this is instead of basically like it lets you do kind of like a, a very efficient um, you know, proof because it's based on kind of like mapping a key value map onto the Merkle tree itself. So for me, you know, proving to you that the item is no, no longer there, I show you that like, you know, within that tree, there's actually an empty element, right? That's really cool because then it's like I have like very efficient proofs. And these are used all over Tara. For example, you know, let's say I have like a collectible, like a baseball card or something like that, and like we're swapping it on chain, right? You know, I want you to prove to me that it's not not committed into your, into your tree anymore, right? And I can do that by using this non-inclusion proof to make sure that, you know, things happen uh, properly. And this is used a bunch of other places as far as me showing, maybe I, I burn an asset proof will be, you know, me showing that like, you know, I had 10 beef bucks, nice entry three, I have seven left. So it's kind of like a bunch of those things. Uh, the main thing I always try to do is also make sure that like, you know, Anything as far as like validation or verification is very, very upfront in the design, basically. Because, you know, otherwise, you know, I feel like if, think, if, you're, if, you, if you try to like, link something and it's very like hidden or somewhat obfuscated, maybe you're a little more skeptical. And then you try to make sure that everything was very just much like kind of like at the forefront. Like, okay, well, this is how, like, you know, issuance works, this is how validation works, this is how like ver- verification works as well, too. That's like a major goal of just, like getting together at the protocol in the first place. Yeah, interesting stuff. So just to summarize a little bit, so some of the earlier approaches, things like counterparty and things, uh, colored coins might have required a lot more on-chain footprint and maybe were not as suitable for a light client approach. So kind of the idea with Taro is to utilize Taproot, right? Because now we have it and you can have these script paths and bundle things inside of that. And then with this protocol where we talk to each other and if we're sort of bundling in this information in a way that only the other person sort of knows what to look for, right? I guess that's kind of a simplified. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can say it's like, okay, like you can say, well, okay, we're committing to something. What exactly is that something? Like, you know, what's the the asset? Like, you know, what's like the ticker? Like, what's the amount? Like, is there any other metadata as well too? So like the protocol also defines like, you know, all those fields as far as like, you know, the amount, the asset type, you know, exactly, uh, you know, any rules, like a lock time, a sequence number, or whatever else. So like a lot of that protocol is kind of like, you know, defining like the serialization basically, like exactly like what's in the tree itself. And then also how, how is the tree constructed uh, beyond that, uh, you know, as well too. And like you're saying, the cool thing, you know, similar to some of the other things on this space as well too, is that like, you know, I can basically do something on chain today like individuals wouldn't even really know I'm issuing an asset, right? So you kind of like also kind of like blend in with the existing taproot anonymity set, which is really cool because all of a sudden now, like, you know, it's not really clear. Is that like a normal transaction? Is that an HTLC? Is that a lightning transaction? Is that a Taro, you know, creation transaction itself? So unless you actually have the proof data, then you don't you don't really need, you even really know what's going on. This is really cool because like, you know, certain proofs I think are going to be public. For example, like let's say someone's like issuing a stable coin, you want individuals to be able to like audit the total supply of that, that stable coin itself, right? That should be public, obviously, right? But if I, if I have like something that maybe between like a set of individuals, that doesn't necessarily need, need to be public. Need to be public and it also has this other cool thing with kind of like this whole Merkle sum property and that like you know this makes it very easy to kind of like do things like you know uh, run kind of like you know proofs of like supply or issuance basically right because all of a sudden now like you know like if, if like someone's like kind of like you know issuing this particular asset they can construct like a tree and that tree basically commits to every single you know instance of that issued asset in the chain itself and then just from that tree it's about like okay well i know there's five billion v bucks in, in existence basically right i can use that to then like you know track the issuance on chain which is very important because obviously you want to know that you know exactly like how many of the units that you're you're with you also want to know 
things like when uh, when it actually maybe is reissued if that's possible. There's some other things around you know watching particular outputs on the chain. So, so say like you know theoretically I can basically watch an output and get notified every single time someone issues another uh, you know type of a particular asset, which is really cool. Next, next, okay, well you know something was issued. Let me go and like gather the proofs basically and also update my assumptions as far as like you know why I'm using the thing or anything else like that. Yeah, so just just on that, as an idea, let's say somebody wants to do a Taro stablecoin, and how is it ensured that, let's say, that Taro stablecoin that they've made is actually fungible across the entire network, and I guess the supply limits of it as well, to know that it's not being, let's say, inflated beyond what the issuer is saying is, you know, like, let's say I'm, I'm dodgy, I create Stefan dollars on the Taro network, and I tell everyone, oh, look, guys, I've only made 100, you know, Stefan dollars, but actually, there's $1,000 out there on the network. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, really, really good question. So basically, it's kind of like based on like, uh, so you can say like, you know, you can say the Bitcoin blockchain is basically defined by the Genesis block, right? That's that's basically the very first block and anything beyond that is like, what's Bitcoin? If someone gives you like, you know, a chain that doesn't start the Genesis block, basically that's not Bitcoin. That's like some other, you know, spinoff coin that was created or something like that, right? So the assets, the assets are kind of like they work in a similar manner. Like you basically have what's called like a Genesis outpoint, right? And Genesis outpoint is, is, is basically used to like get randomness from the chain to generate like a unique transaction, a unique asset ID, right? And that's that was another thing like the protocol did is that, you know, otherwise like another change you kind of like have like some global sequencer basically making like give you a contract ID something like that in this case we don't really have that but we can rely on the fact that you know bit, you know bitcoin outputs never be double spent basically and that's kind of like you know the, the main security property from the point of view of the chain so you use that to basically generate you know what's called a genesis outpoint that's then used to generate the asset id which then used to actually create the asset itself right so now in this case like let's say like you know you were creating uh you know uh like you know stefan bucks right uh you know you would basically like say okay that's anchored at a particular uh you know initial uh utxo basically this is the genesis point and this is basically the first very first thing that's creating from that, right? So now in this case, you can kind of like view it as a kind of like uh, sort of like a tree or a web. Any other issuance or any or sorry, any other transfer based off of like the Stefan bucks is going to now emanate from that initial UTXO, right? So there's kind of like this graph going down, right? So any individual now that's having like you know uh, the that's receiving or, or wanting to like you know send those assets also just verifies that it's actually going to go back to that exact same initial point of that graph itself, right? And that's how basically how you verify the provenance, which is a very important thing because otherwise you want to know that okay, this is the actual legit thing versus not, right? So obviously there's kind of like an initial step here as far as like you know you showing the world, okay, well this is like my asset. And this is basically where it's anchored at in the initial chain. That's also kind of like you know where this universe comes in. Universe concept comes in, which is what we'll talk about in a second, right? So from that at that point, like you know, people then know that okay, well, there's only ten of those in existence, basically, because they look at that initial creation and then say, okay, well, only ten of those that was actually created, right? So and so from there, you can say, okay, well, you know, if you never need to issue any more assets, you're fine. But let's say you, you want to like issue more assets in the future because it's getting really popular, or maybe you know uh, it's growing, you know, it's taking over the world or something like that, right? Something called uh, like kind of like an asset, uh, you know, key family in the, in the, in the system itself, right? This is basically kind of like a special key that's uh, delegated to basically to allow you to basically uh, you know create additional assets that actually links you know provably to that initial tranche, right? So maybe you want to like you know issue it in like you know tranche one, tranche two, tranche three, something else like that, right? So now that you have that key, anytime you want to make another version of the asset, you basically you need to like have a signature from that key itself. And the cool thing is like you know that key is actually a Schnorr key, so it can be like a multi-sig. It can basically be using multi-sig too. So like maybe you can have like you know three of your friends and all three of you need to agree in order to basically you create this new asset again, right? Too. And there, there can be other things added in the future as far as the other kind of like redemption criteria, other, you know, reasons maybe like why you'd want to unlock that particular asset itself, right? But now, let's say you go you go and issue that asset once more, right? There's another construct uh, called kind of like a canonical universe, right? And the universe, uh, you know, and, and the system is basically, it's effectively like like a another like Markle, uh, another like sparse Markle tree, but it's actually an index into the chain, right? So the initial tree, like that we talked about a little bit earlier, you can say, okay, well, I can use that to look up like an asset based on maybe like what's effectively like, like a script pub key or like a, you know, PK script, right? In this case, it's diff this different. This tree basically tracks like, you know, uh, the genesis point 
sense of like all the assets related to that initial asset itself, right? So now at this point, like uh, whenever you create this asset, like there's kind of like a rule that's okay, well, the next, the second output after that creation must commit to this canonical universe basically, right? And this, this is kind of like the on-chain structure that individuals are going to use to actually track the asset itself, right? So let's say you want to like, you know, issue another, you know, version of the asset, you must spend that initial output basically. By spending the output, you basically notify everyone else on chain, that, okay, well, this thing is actually happening. And then once you notify them on chain, they can then go to you or whoever else, basically fetch those proofs to like update their uh, their supply uh, view of the system itself, right? So initially, like let's say the universe only had like one output in it, which is basically the very, very first trend, right? And that committed to basically five, so the root sum is five now, right? But let, let's say we do it again. Now you issue like 15, right? The root sum now is now going to be 20, basically. And then people basically point to those two areas in the chain. So once again, now anytime like I'm validating to them something that says, okay, they actually have Stefan Bucks, I then have the universe, which, which is kind of like what I used to bootstrap my proof providence. I basically make sure that then, then like uh, it originates back at that initial point, right? So this is really cool because all of a sudden now people can basically watch outputs on chain in the like kind of the water also basically be notified of notification events. One of the cool property of like the uh, SMT, SMT tree is like um has a property called like history independence, right? So basically like let's say like I have like you know three key values basically and you have three three key values. No matter what order we insert them into the tree, we're gonna get, we're gonna get the exact same root hash. So it's actually deterministic, right? So it's kind of like a combination of like a Git repo and like a federated you know matrix server or something like that, right? So for example, like let's say like you know someone else you know says they they know about all like you know the UTXOs of Spawn Bucks, we can then kind of like, you know sync our trees together and say oh you know, I didn't know about that one. Let me get that one and like put it into my tree itself too. And that's really cool because this, this can also be used to make what order effectively become like an authenticated explorers, right? Where I can basically show someone kind of like the secret of transfers of these assets basically, and they show me the proofs that it's actually stepped onto the chain itself. And they can't really, you know, they can't really fake the proofs because once again, you just kind of like digital signatures to make sure like, you know, all the parties that you're authorized transaction directly, you know, have like a valid authorization to do it, do so itself. That's a pretty cool structure there as far as being, people being able to kind of like, you know, watch on chain for certain issuance events, you know, get those, get the uh, proof of issuance off chain, basically then update their own, uh, you know, state uh, internally as well too. But then also kind of like, you know, compare this shit with other individuals basically make sure like we're able to quote unquote run the numbers uh which is kind of like a cool part of it yeah really interesting so if i understand you correctly then it's essentially using like digital signatures and this tree structure and this kind of idea of watching the chain to make sure that there is no let's say uh funny business going on with people like issuing more than what there really is because you would know right you would see uh okay that coin moved or that 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 utxo was spent yeah, the output was spent, and here's actually the new one you need to look at, and that's actually the true state of this, you know, coin, whatever coin we're issuing or talking about here, uh, if it's a stable coin, right? Yeah, and you can say like you know the issues are kind of like incentivized to basically maintain the universes themselves because otherwise like individuals maybe won't really use anything if they don't really or if they aren't able to kind of like audit what's really going on there, right? Because kind of the thing was like okay, like this is like you know the backwater thing they aren't really publishing the proof, we're not going to use that. But like so you can say now like you know many providers now are also like you know getting additional scrutiny as far as like publishing their own you know reserves or kind of like their own backing or things like that as well too. This is kind of like a similar contract. So like you know in addition to them like publishing their like you know bank statements or like you know whatever uh, treasury bills they're holding as well too, they're also going to be posting these on-chain proofs that show basically to get this like, total supply of the current thing. And then I, I kind of, I can see individuals kind of like, you know, kind of cautious with those two, two things in the future. Or maybe they probably publish some bank statements or liquid precision, but they also publish like the on-chain proofs as well inside of it as well too. So kind of thing where it's like, you know, you are always able to at least be notified of, uh, you know, an event happening on chain basically. And then it's up to you kind of like, you know, fetch that data off chain. And, you know, that's kind of like another story as far as like, you know, how you actually acquire that data, you know, how you discover it. Exactly. Is there some type of like, type of like standardized API for you to get that data as well too. But as far as like you being able to kind of like, you know, see everything on chain, so it goes back to the problems also relies on Bitcoin property, uh, the important property of Bitcoin, where UTXOs can never be double, be double spent, basically. So, but, you know, if UTXOs could be double spent, the thing wouldn't work at all. And Bitcoin wouldn't work at all either. So we're kind of like, you know, anchoring back to kind of like the security of Bitcoin itself. So, Of course, yeah. So let's 
rewind back just a little bit just to understand how this Taro network would operate. So I guess presumably this would be built in with LND, let's say. So let's say I have LND and you have LND and we, we create like a Taro channel. Like, Could you explain how Taro channels would work as opposed to just Bitcoin Lightning channels? Regular. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, first, it's kind of a thing where, you know, it will be kind of like in like the LND suite and binary as well too. But, you know, I think one thing we try to make sure we do is kind of like make sure like this, it's kind of like has like a spec first, right? So for example, like, you know, we actually really suspect before we actually start to really do a bunch of implementation stuff as well too. We got a lot of, like, we got a lot of feedback as well too. And I think the other thing I'll try to do with the spec is I'll, I'll try to make sure, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, it's easy to understand the problems the most possible as well too, in order to make sure we have other implementations in the future, right? Because if, if we're just doing it, it's not really that cool. We kind of like need like the more of that network effect basically can get, get more of the community buy-in, right? But, you know, the question is like uh, exactly like how do we get them to like lightning channels, right? So, uh, you know, similar to, um, you know, Bitcoin today, like, you know, let's say I have some Bitcoin. First, I have it on chain and regular address. Then basically you and I, you know, create a multi-sig address and we send that to, we send it to the multi-sig output. Then boom, that's our channel, right? But, you know, obviously before we do that, we, we kind of like, you know, sign like what's effectively like a refund transaction to make sure that, you know, if you and I go offline, we can basically publish that and get our money back, right? So, uh, you know, uh, so then you kind of like we have the intent where it's like, okay, well, you know, Tower assets are actually also just living in UTXOs themselves, right? So let's say I have like, you know, beef bucks uh, and I have like my UTXO, right? And let's say you, you want to make a channel, like let's say we actually want to have like beef bucks and, uh, you know, Bitcoin in the channel itself, right? So what we, what we do is similar again, we basically kind of like, you know, send, uh, you know, we basically like, you know, have a joint transaction that spends my input and your input, maybe like, you know, either we're putting on uh, both putting in funds or maybe it's just me that creates like new uh, output, which basically now this multi-sig output itself, right? But the thing is like, you know, like, um, as I mentioned before, like tower assets are actually stored in the tap script tree of a given asset, of a given output, right? So now whenever I make that new output, I actually make sure we have that same commitment basically in that uh, output, which is the multi-sig tree itself. So let's say we have like a two of two, you know, uh, store type of thing, basically, so there's actually one single key in that, like there's actually a script root and we commit to this new uh, asset metadata, metadata description in this output itself, right? But also in the in the metadata description that I created, it actually has like uh, inputs pointing back to like my prior location of the asset itself, right? So I also have to have a signature there to basically prove the network, okay, well, you know, I had my money here and I moved it over here. So also now at this point, we, we kind of like have this, you know, two of two that has no more Bitcoin in it, but then also has commitment to uh, this tower asset as well. So now similarly, you know, uh, as far as like, reference transaction, the reference transaction is created that also kind of like, you know, sends, you know, our, us back our Bitcoin, but also sends me back my beef bucks. Uh, now that's actually code structure, right? So, so it's kind of a thing where it's like everything looks more or less very, very similar, right? So, you know, the per, the, per, the protocol and the kind of like the consensus basically look, look exactly the same where I do like, you know, whatever CLI open channel, you know, between you and I, we, we kind of have that, you know, that one's committed, but now it's kind of a thing where I have like an extra balance on my side of things, right? We have the number of Bitcoin balance. We also have this beef bucks beef balance as well too. Then, but then, you know, from that, everything is mapped more or less one-to-one. -one. You know, it's like, like, you know, today, let's say I want to like send, you know, Bitcoin on my line channel. I have like a UTXO, so like an HTLC. The HTLC, okay, like has like a script. I can send that, you know, multi-hop things like that as well too. You know, if I want to send like this tar asset, like, you know, multi-hop in a similar fashion, I would also have like a similar HTLC, right? Now the HTLC, you know, maybe is committing to kind of like what's just, you know, uh, like uh, right above desk. Maybe it's like, you know, 500 so, 500 so but internally it's also committing to that larger amount of, um, you know, of like my my tar asset, my tar asset, but also now we're also inheriting that same script, the HTLC script, kind of like the time the timeout or the premature reveal, also within that tar layer as well too. So we're kind of like mirroring that one to one, right? So because that's very very natural, right? You know, so I think when people like see coming from software release, also interact with it, it's gonna like just feel like they're using Bitcoin, right? But all of a sudden now they have like an extra you know field in the JSON RPC or the gRPC basically that shows our particular you know asset um uh, you know uh, field. So you know, so at that point now we basically have you know uh, a channel that has like a Bitcoin. 
maybe it has like you know five other assets maybe it has you know naira t or you know or usd whatever else something else in there as well too uh and it should be like you know very done very very uh you know closely because so one of the things that we tried to do is like um you know people had approached us in the past as far as like you know doing something like this but i think one thing i was always, always very um you know skeptical of is kind of like you know losing the network effect basically right because like otherwise like, you know, let's say like you know we could build an entirely new network that has you know uh one network for this asset one network for this asset whatever else but i think that was kind of like you know something that would uh kind of like not really benefit the network effects, network effects of bitcoin and lightning right but what we were setting up today is like you know rather than the assets actually existing in the internal network itself they only exist at the edges right which is really cool because for example like you know, let's say you have a node you want to be bitcoin only you don't need to know about the stuff at all but maybe you know increased transactional activity at the edge actually gives you more writing revenue gives you more uh you know writing activity gives you more writing fees things like that as well too but that's something that you didn't need to update people at the edges updated and everything you know worked uh you know for you as fine right this is also cool because now like you know you kind of like push a lot of complexity to the edges rather than like updating the, the light network itself and like adding a bunch of things like you know for as far as like exchange rates tickers you know things like that and kind of like building things a little bit more yeah everything's actually you know fully at the edges you kind of like you just like this this isn't kind of like you know invoice or, or like you know hop pin or blind route mechanism to transmit the pay, pay information from the receiver over to the sender uh which is another you know cool part of it so it's kind of a thing where if you want to participate in the network you can you can update basically but otherwise you can basically continue to use like kind of what i call now like the, you know the bitcoin you know backbone network of lightning of lightning itself because you know no matter at the end of the day whenever i'm sending like an asset like let's say i'm sending bucks you know that's still actually using lightning or using bitcoin to like to transact to the other side so all of a sudden now you know bitcoin and lightning become this like very like you know fundamental like crossing layer right of like let's say maybe it's like all the world's currencies all you know assets that you actually want to send in between each other that's all crossing through bitcoin at the end of the day so now it's a thing where it's okay like let's say like we had like a you know a billion you know five billion more let's transact activity like a day on like the lightning arc itself right we would need corresponding increase in bitcoin capacity on the network itself in order to support that transaction activity the edges right so the thing is like you know if this thing takes off and is very successful this will actually trend this will actually lead to like you know more routing nodes more routing capacity more routing revenue and just more real tangible opportunities for individuals running routing nodes or maybe other bidding other protocols or kind of like shippers and have lighting itself okay gotcha so just to clarify my understanding there so let's say you and i have a taro channel in addition to our normal lightning channel. And then let's say I want to route some Taro asset. Let's say I've got some beef bucks and I want to route them to somebody else, like through you. But let's say not every channel along that route is a Taro channel because some of those might just be standard Bitcoin lightning channels. And so what you're saying is only the person at the very end of that route, like the person I'm paying the beef bucks and me have to support the taro lightning or the taro spec is that right or how, how does that work yeah yeah i mean that's correct and so you can you can say like you can say like uh you know every like taro channel is also lightning channel but not necessarily the other way around right because like you know in order to work it's like like you know uh, lightning actually takes all, all transaction fees in bitcoin and also bitcoin chain takes all transaction fees in bitcoin as well too right so bitcoin is still required number one to pay you know fees on chain but also to pay fees off chain as well too you can say like you know bitcoin is like the quote-unquote gas you know asset some support analogy basically but the other day you can't separate because you actually need to pay the miners, you also need to pay the right the, the, the network itself, right? So the way it works is like you know, you uh, there's kind of a concept of like you know, inbound and outbound liquidity on the network itself, right? You know, in, inbound is basically you know what you can what you can receive, kind of the kind of the currency you receive, but outbound is basically like what you can send to another individual. So like let's say you want to send, you know, you have we have like a channel, you have some bucks, you want to send it to your cousin, you know, somewhere else, right? Like, you know, at that point you give me an HTLC, the HTLC has like you know that beef buck HTLC itself. I'm like, okay, cool, you know, this corresponds to blah blah blah. I then create like an outbound HTLC, which is just Bitcoin, right? And that, that goes all the way across the network itself, you know, open to the destination. And then like the, the final hop, the second to last hop stake takes that Bitcoin in, then produces a, uh, you know, a beef buck or tower HCLC to the other side, right? So it's kind of a thing you basically just cross in like, you know, those two areas, basically, but everything else in, in the middle is actually just pure Bitcoin. 
right? Uh, and the way this works, like, you know, for example, the receiver would, would, would then give you an invoice. And that invoice would basically, you know, you know what type of asset, you know, they were going to receive. The other thing as well, something called like a hop hint that kind of like lets you, um, you know, give people kind of like a hint as far as whenever you're routing to another individual. So say, you know, every single mobile phone that like uses Lightning Save, they have like a hop hint. So maybe they have like some LSP node, basically they have like a, an unadvertised channel that is really on the main Gotcha network. And that's the user channel, right? And they say, okay, well, in order for me to get to you, I go to Breeze and the last hop is over to you it's, uh, on that 10. Right. So that's, it's that's similar to routing hints, right? Or it is a routing hint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it is a routing hint. But, you know, you know, there are other technologies we're working on, things like, you know, called blinded paths. We're kind of like, you know, let you, you know, kind of like blind that last hop so you kind of like improve privacy as well. And that, those type of things can also be used in this, in this setting as well, too. So, so the key thing is like, you know, as long as the individual on the other side has that inbound liquidity, basically, they can receive that asset. And the other cool thing is that, you know, we, we didn't really need to kind of like, you know, add a bunch more routing data or kind of like, you know, graph data to the actual chain it's, or to the uh, you know, light network itself because I transmit to you how to get to me in that hop head, basically, which is That's part right. of that invoice structure. So once again, so it's going to be very familiar. People are going to scan that, you know, uh, QR code, basically. It's going to pop up. It's like, do you want to send blah? And they can send it. But one, one of the cool things about this, like, you know, so let's say, you know, you were sending a uh, bucks. That's really all you have. But the other party wanted Bitcoin. So it can actually work the exact same way, right? So rather than like the last hop transferring it uh, and then like converting into B bucks at the end of the day, they just still you know give you uh, they give the receiver Bitcoin. This is cool because all of a sudden like let's say we're kind of like in a stablecoin land, I can actually just send Bitcoin and the other party receives that stablecoin. Right, so for me, like I've been Bitcoin all the way, basically. I don't really care. Like I'm still getting the good or whatever. I'm still like you know using uh, you know my preferred currency, but the other individual will also selecting exactly what they want to receive, receive as well too. So it's really cool. Because for example, like now this is let people kind of like a little more ease into kind of like you know using Lightning. It's kind of like you know once again like people will talk about Bitcoin the network and kind of like you know Bitcoin the currency, right? Bitcoin the network is kind of like you know the actual on-chain structure, you know the blocks and the Bitcoin the currency is like what we know as the BTC the ticker. So similarly, you, you can now basically use Lightning network like the network to transmit you know other assets basically, but only uh, you know the active manifesting at the other edge. Really cool because I was saying now, like, you know, let's say, okay, people wanted to come, like, you know, weed off of credit cards, but they still maybe want that, like, you know, stable value or the USD or the other side. They can actually then still use the Lightning Network as kind of like this, like, you know, uh, kind of like monetary backbone, send money from A to B, basically. But only only at the edges, you know, does uh, there's actually is ever non Bitcoin, but everything is still, you know, Bitcoin fully uh, through the network itself, which is really cool as far as network effects. Yeah. So just to clarify, on that point, how would it work in the case where, let's say, you're the Bitcoin user and you're paying like a stable coin? Like, how would the exchange rates work in that example? Good question, right? So, you know, today, let's say I uh, I'm paying something in Lightning, right? Like, let's say for whatever reason, like, um, you know, it's actually quoted in USD. I'm like buying like a gift card or maybe like you know paying for like you know. Uh, like a, a podcast or something like that, right? At that point, the user, you know, they give me like an invoice and that invoice is not quoted in BTC, right? But the thing is like, they actually did a conversion, right? So I think most people today just pay it and say, okay, well, cool, you know, looks good, five stats, you know, something like that, right? But like at the end of the day, like they actually are making that conversion on that end, right? So they're, they're kind of like be a similar thing, right? Where you, you know, the individual would basically you know, quote me in that particular, um, uh, you know, in that particular currency, basically, and they also have like that Bitcoin amount, right? So now it's my job to basically get that Bitcoin, you know, all the way to that second to final hop, basically. And that individual is then going to make that exchange, you know, for that particular asset or currency itself. So it kind of like, you know, it effectively like hides a lot of the, you know, conversion and kind of change rate stuff in the actual um, invoice itself, right? You know, for example, like, you know, let's say there's another situation, like, let's say, um, you know, I was like sending Bitcoin basically, and then for whatever reason, you know, USD crashed, which means, you know, Bitcoin went up, right? So then, you know, but at that point now, there's maybe there's like an insufficient amount of like, you know, uh, you know, at, at that last edges. So much like today, if I were try, if someone like has like an invoice, like, you know, 10 Satoshis and I said nine, they're going to cancel that back, right? So I think a lot of things get kind of like, like 
you know, mask in the existing invoice flow as far as people canceling back HDLC that are insufficient flow or individuals kind of like today where they already make that conversion rate as well too, right? So obviously like, you know, like me, uh, whenever I'm receiving my wallet, I need to know exactly what that is. So I can actually have like a proper reference rate basically. But also today, you know, every single Bitcoin wallet probably already hits some API in order to show a fiat balance if the user wants to, right? So you already kind of like, you know, have that link embedded in the system itself. So it's kind of like a thing where it's like, you know, the user needs to verify exactly, you know, how much they're sending over, which they should be doing today anyway, if they're getting like an invoice quoted from someone that says it's $10, but it's actually sending one BTC. So you kind of like have that similar level verification going on now. But, you know, I'm sure wallets also rides make, make things a lot more easy. Maybe give people like ability to kind of like, you know, add the API or something like that if they wish. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, even today, if, if a merchant today only wants to receive Bitcoin, but they charge and denominate the price in USD. So as an example, uh, you want to buy this whatever t-shirt for $20. They're just going to show you the Bitcoin equivalent amount of that. And then you, the customer, are just paying that amount. So it's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of idea that if they want, let's say, $20 worth of Taro beef box, and then they just show you the QR for the sat Satoshi's equivalent, however many sats that is, what 30,000 sats or whatever that is, then the customer is just scanning, oh, okay, I'm paying 30,000 sats, pay. And then on the other end, it's all done. So I guess that's that's kind of a similar flow there in terms of for the user. So just thinking out loud in terms of if, let's say for the developing world or people want to build a service, right? If they're a builder listening to the podcast and they're like, okay, what could I use this for, this Tyro thing? What if I wanted to create a wallet that has a Bitcoin balance and Tara USD or a Lightning USD balance? And maybe they would have to then think about, okay, which stablecoin am I going to plug into? Or am I going to create my own stablecoin and then provide a service or create this into a package that's into a wallet where they give this to people, let's say, in the developing world who want this kind of thing? Or even maybe people in the developed world who want to be able to quickly flip between USD and Bitcoin and just have it all in one wallet. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a thing as well, like, you know, obviously they have an option to make their own. They're probably not going to make their own because there's kind of like, you know, other entities that are kind of like, you know, already have that somewhere to like trust anchor basically. So, you know, once again, like, uh, you know, we're not necessarily like saying it's going to be this and this and this. I think we have other individuals that kind of recognize the ability and also like they're, you know, they're also interested in coming back to Bitcoin generally as well too, because they're on these other chains. The chain is maybe down, you know, for 24 hours. They can't do transactions or whatever else. They want to come back because they know, you know, Bitcoin has uptime basically, you know, as they say like, you know, banks are closed, Bitcoin's never closed, you know, type of thing there is too. So, I think it's interesting because now we can like, you know, bring back that network effect because at the end of the day, like, stablecoins actually started on Bitcoin in the first place, right? They went elsewhere just because maybe the APIs weren't that great or maybe they thought they had faster blocking or whatever else, but obviously they have Lightning, which is like the fastest, you know, way to move, you know, money generally, you know, around the world, basically. So I think it's really cool to be able to bring that back and kind of try the network effect and then at the same time also, you know, generate more just demand for block space as well generally too, which is something that, you know, maybe people are worried about, maybe they're not worried about, something that is kind of like another, you know, it's a higher order effect, something like this. If it does take off as far as people coming back and do more transactions on Bitcoin generally. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about multi-signature security for your Bitcoin? With Unchained Capital, you can do this easily. So with multi-signature, you can create a two of three multi-signature vault where you hold two keys in different locations, of course, and Unchained hold the third key. And when you do this setup, you need two of the keys to sign in order to spend your Bitcoin. So this can reduce single points of failure and give you that confidence, that peace of mind that your coins are not going to be lost even if you make one mistake with your Bitcoin. So unchained.com is where you can go to find out the material and the website. They also have a lot of educational material that you can find such as Parker Lewis's series gradually then suddenly. That website is unchained.com. 
If you're looking for Bitcoin hardware, you can't go past CoinKite.com. CoinKite are the creators of the Cold Card, which is a very popular signing device or hardware wallet, as some are used to calling it. The Cold Card can be used in various configurations. And what you'll find is when you use the Cold Card, you actually end up learning more about Bitcoin because in order to use it, you might need to learn a little bit more about what an XPUB is or how to move that information back and forth between the Cold Card and your computer. And the new version, the MK4, is coming out. It's shipping out to people now. So if you want to order that, you want to go and see the webpage on the website. Don't forget, it's got some new features. It has upgraded RAM and an upgraded processor. It's got two secure elements and it also has NFC support. So this might make it really convenient for those of you who want to use it as a warm wallet setup or to use it to help create your multi-signature setup. So that website, coinkite.com. Back to the show with Lalu. Yeah. One other question. I think you might have touched on this before, but in terms of things like on-chain fallback, right? So as an example, let's say you and I have this Tyro channel and let's say I'm very bad at operating my node and maybe it, it's going offline all the time or for whatever reason, you need to close it down on-chain and take your assets back. How would that work in a Taro context? Like, let's say there's some beef bucks on my side of the channel, you need to unilaterally close, to, you know, like force close. How would that work with Taro? Is it basically the same kind of idea? Force close, you just take back your amount on-chain or what? Uh, good question. Yeah. I mean, so once again, it's basically the same idea, right? So like, you know, there's two different ways you can close the channel. One is basically like the co-op close where we basically, okay, we're both online. We'll sign that signature. In this case, you know, we basically both sign, okay, well, you know, I had 0.2 Taro, you know, or like Beatbox, you had 0.3 basically. We'll make sure that commitment transaction or the closing because that can also commission that exact same amount. But now in, in addition to basically sending the normal Bitcoin signature, we also send another signature on the Taro layer and everything just like that. But then the force close layer is basically that same thing is again, because now like, uh, we, one of us maybe needs to wait for that CSV time. But once again, like, you know, we've made, we've had the exact same one-to-one map of things like CSV and Bitcoin script into the tower layer as well too. So it's very, very familiar to construct, right? Uh, and I guess one other thing you, know, you can say is like, um, I think one thing that people, I think like Casper is starting to popularize now is kind of like combining like, you know, something called BIP21 with kind of like regular light, lightning invoices, right? So it's like kind of like, you know, give the, okay, well, I'm saying Bitcoin, maybe it's going to be fast on lightning, maybe it's going to be a little bit slower, but at the same time, you're, all, you're, all, you're making sure you're receiving that, you know, uh, th- those coins as well too. So tower similarly has like an address uh, format itself. So like, you know, so you can say addresses, addresses are kind of like, you know, instructions basically to, of how to construct a Bitcoin output, right? We've had like the original, you know, Bitcoin one, we have the three, which is like a, you know, PCOSH multi-sig. Now we have like, you know, Bec32, Bec31, for Taproot, right? So, and so, you know, then they, they, those, those basically say, okay, well, here's my public key. That's how you construct the output on chain. And then I can send to you and they basically are watching that particular, you know, script template on chain itself. So Shara has a similar contract, but like, you know, rather than like me just telling you exactly my public key, I kind of like give you the items necessary for you to construct that, uh, that tree basically, right? So like, let's say I'm like receiving Bitbox, I give you the asset ID, you know, the amount, things like that as well too. Things that let you basically construct the initial tree commitment itself, but I also give you, you know, the internal key, right? And people that don't know, this is called an internal key in Taproot. You basically take the internal key and then combine that with like the script commitment, basically, and then get an output key, right? So similarly, now I can basically give you all the information necessary for you to construct like a valid tower leaf that I can spend, and then you send that on chain. Now for my wallet, it's very, very similar to basically the way Bitcoin works today, where I'm like now looking for these particular scripts to show up on chain. Once they show up on chain, that basically I know that okay, well I received the, that that uh, that currency or whatever else, and I can go on like, kind of like you know fetch the remaining proofs off chain, basically make sure I can spend that as well too. So once again, like you know, we always try to make sure that like we're trying to like, retain a very very familiar flow so it's going to look like a bec32 address maybe it's going to be bc taro instead of you know bct or, or or q whatever it is today right so like once again always thinking about like make, making sure things are easy to understand and also making sure that people can like you know also just take things up very easily without learning some entirely new paradigm it should look and feel like bitcoin that was a major goal right yeah that's really good to see cool uh, and one other idea as well is 
Are there any potential privacy benefits as well? Like hypothetically, if someone were to create, like I know it's a bit weird, but it's like that whole uh, exhibit, I put this in your whatever, multiple layers. If you created Bitcoin on the Taro network, yeah, the Yo Dog, right? Like I heard you like this. I've made, yeah, but like what if you created like Taro Bitcoin on the Taro network and you used that to send Bitcoin around? Like would that actually, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a crazy idea, but like would there be like a privacy benefit there? Because these are all fungible, right? Yeah. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you could say that like, you know, you would kind of like mask the true value amount because maybe like you would see six Satoshi's move on chain, but actually it's actually like, you know, one BTC. So it's definitely possible. I guess kind of like ergonomics uh, wise, exactly how that would work or but it's totally feasible. I remember like I was like describing, you know, Tara to someone uh, that kind of like, you know, works in the industry and they were joking, okay, like, you know, should we make wrapped Ethereum and then issue it on Tara, right? You know, <laughs> kind of coming full circle, wrap Bitcoin to ETH, wrap Ethereum to Taro type of thing. So, uh, but, you know, I think it's definitely possible. I think that's also the cool thing of kind of like, you know, giving people those like new tools they can mess around with as far as like, oh, what if I can do this? Do they, they, maybe they can go and actually make it out in public and that'd be something, you know, cool as far as like them exploring things. But yeah, like there, there could be something there as far as like, kind of like sending more value than you really know. It's also, I mean, a thing where maybe someone wants to kind of like do some ARB thing, but they're, you know, sending it on chain. They don't want people to know exactly what's going on, but they still pay Bitcoin anyway. Um, but oh, that's actually one of the things I wanted to mention is that like, um, so I mentioned that like earlier, like let's say you're sending it to me, you're sending, you know, something like people are tired to me on chain, right? Like I kind of like, you know, have that new commitment basically that creates the output. At the end of the day, you also need to send enough Bitcoin for it to be non-dust. That's kind of, kind of like a very critical thing, yeah. right? So let's say like, you know, I'm getting like, you know, a thousand USD, something like that. I still need at least 600 Satoshis there in order to uh, collect that, gotcha. uh, that funds because I still need to pay for chain fees at the end of the day, right? So in the future, you know, it could be the case like, you know, let's say I want to like, you know, have pure one particular asset and like hold less or something else. I can maybe pay someone else to kind of like, you know, swap my asset for BTC to then pay on chain for minor fees as well too. So that's kind of like a thing where I think maybe some services will develop in the future as far as, you know, kind of like collecting other random assets and giving people the equipment BTC you want to basically pay on chain because at the end of the day, you still need to pay fees uh, in Bitcoin and you can't get away from that, right? So that's always like where everything's anchored in Bitcoin at the end of the day and you may have some dust, near dust outputs basically, but you can also then aggregate those into like, you know, uh, like a single output or kind of like have another kind of like, you know, just-in-time swap type for servers that allows people to kind of like, you know, move things around and pay uh, the fees in Bitcoin whenever they need to. Right, just like today's lightning swap services, you know, like Loop and Bolt and yeah. others out there, right? Exactly, Yeah. exactly. And I think people make even other kind of like swap services as well too because once again, like it's a fully open protocol. So someone can say, okay, well, I want to support you know, USD tower swaps on chain. And they can kind of like, you know, have like, once again, like a non-conservative protocol, lets people kind of like, you know, move that uh, value on chain. Because once again, it's basically just like a multi-input, multi-app interaction, right? So it's going to look and feel like Bitcoin. But basically, I have like a, you know, USD input here, I have Bitcoin output here. We swap it the other way on the other side. And that's a really cool thing as far as letting people kind of like, you know, make more of those non-custodial, uh, you know, products uh, with Bitcoin itself, which is what we need at the end of the day, because obviously, you know, <laughs> you know, custodians, uh, you know, they're going to shut down one day, so. Yeah, of course. Also, just implementation wise i guess one thing that's needed for taro to work is to see that you know lots of different implementations i guess are using it so that it's not just becoming like an lnd only thing right so i guess that's part of the approach is the is the hope to make it uh, that i guess there's maybe there's also a little bit of a competition around um which protocol becomes like you know used and liquid right i guess that's that's probably the key barrier i guess because once you get enough of a volume of people using this then okay it starts to grow 
Yeah, exactly. You know, protocols have momentum and network effects. Bitcoin was one of the first ones and, you know, had like a bunch of like, uh, you know, very, you know, pro- uh, attracting things around like, you know, digital creation as far as the creator itself and like supply, things like that as well, too. Uh, but that's a really good point. And I think that's also like why we went with the spec first, right? So, for example, like, you know, we could have just dropped a bunch of code and say, hey, this is it, you know, come on board or else. But like, you know, I think it's very important for us to basically make sure we drop the spec first, basically allow people to like, number one, understand it independently of like our particular code, our particular code, you know, you know, poke at particular things, you know, understand them. So they also decide on their own if they want to implement it or not, right? And and also, in the day, because like there's actually like a, a spec that's you know kind of like defining everything that's going on, people can also make their own implementations as well too. Like you know, uh, we also like went directly with the BIP process as well too because we knew we knew people like you know people like hold BIPs in high regard. We're gonna get a lot more review on the BIPs as well too. We kind of kind of like spun like our own you know thing on the side basically. But I, you know, I was kind of like worried we, we wouldn't really get as much scrutiny and just kind of like attention as we did by, by going through the BIPs themselves, right? So you know, given that like that stuff's there in the world, trying to make sure that things things are as clear as possible. You know, now even with our implementation, I'm still making like you know PRs and the spec basically make sure things are clearer that came up during the implementation itself, right? So I think that was very important for us to, you know, first be seeing more of like an ecosystem thing where it's like not just us, basically. Because once again, if it's just us, okay, maybe like, you know, we, uh, it's cool, whatever else. We want to make sure other individuals are tapping into this as well too, and other wallets are tapping into it as well. And so like, you know, right now, the current spec kind of defines everything that's actually, uh, as far as on-chain tower uh, itself, we also have something called like a blip, which is kind of like, you know, uh, like a lightning um, you know, proposal as well too, kind of like a lightning side, that's going to define effectively kind of like an optional extensions to the base bolt protocol to basically like allow your lightning plan to be aware of tower as well too so if someone can implement basically both that on-chain uh bip and then also kind of like you know the uh, optional lightning extensions as well too they'll be able to join the network and transact things uh you know on their own that's also kind of like an important thing as far as network like to make sure things like more widely wide use versus kind of like using in one particular software you know one particular area of the world yeah uh and one other area just in terms of protocol competition i'm curious if you have any thoughts, so there is this idea of Omni Bolt, and I think that's something that the Synonym team are kind of putting out. And so I'm curious, your view is, is Taro like a competing thing with them or is it just like a different thing? Like, how are you viewing that? Uh, good question. I'd say it's like a different thing because, you know, you can say like, um, you know, for Omniboat, obviously they already had Omni in general, which is like what we're saying. It's kind of like, you know, where stable coins created, you know, were initially created in general and Tether in general as well too. I think, you know, frankly, I think it's kind of like, um, you know, benefit in being able to kind of like start anew and kind of like have that beginner's mind basically, not necessarily inherit you know, the sciences that were made, you know, 10 plus years ago, basically for the particular system itself, right? But you can say like, you know, given that like they're all on Bitcoin itself, there's a possibility for them to actually be interoperable, right? Maybe there's some type of bridge, you know, there's some type of thing, you know, for example, maybe someone like, you know, burns assets on, burn assets on Omni and issues them on Taro. Maybe the other way around as well too. So I think that's definitely possible. I think like you're saying, it'll depend on kind of like you know what people are using and what's easy to use as well too, and where the incentives lie there. But is there a possibility where in the end of the day, like you know, someone can actually have something where they can like you know move assets between these different chains, uh, or sorry, between these different systems? I think it's definitely possible. I think it'll kind of like depend on exactly you know where the momentum, where the network effects actually are, and if there's an incentive to do that or not. Because if people are using one thing, then maybe they can do the other thing, but it would be kind of like for a smaller portion of like the economy or the user base or something like that. So. Cool. Um, okay, so those are most of the questions I had around Tara. I want to chat a little bit just around the Lightning Network as well, just to get your view on where things are at. So some feedback I'm hearing from people I chat with is they are perhaps critical of the payment reliability in Lightning. And so I think it seems like, but, but it really varies who I talk to, right? Because there are some people I talk to that say, oh, I don't have any issues. You know, it all works for me. And then other people are saying, no, it takes massive amount of work. Why is this like, uh, maybe it's a difference between like people who are running like really big nodes and like, let's say people who are running more like just an individual routing node. I'm curious if that's something you're seeing and any thoughts around payment reliability in the Lightning Network. 
Uh, it's a great question. I mean, so for example, like, you know, we run something called Loop, right? And at the end of the day, like, you know, people basically need to kind of like be able to reach the Loop server in order to pay for in order to be able to use the service in general. So we actually track our kind of like success success rate as well too. And it's really just been going up over the past like year plus as well too, right? Uh, and I think the other thing as well is like, you know, we also like start to like we you know we have like a swap size, right? And like that's kind of like the initial amount people can like move and not basically be able to like you know free up uh, a space on their inbounds, basically able to receive, receive more BTC. We've seen that go up you know a lot as well too, right? So now we see even at times like up to like one BTC come across in a swap, which is unheard of, you know, two or so years ago as far as like doing, you know, larger amounts of, you know, payments, uh, you know, as well too. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it, all, it very much does depend on like, you know, a few things like number one, it's like, okay, your position on the graph, your set of channels, uh, potentially your implementation, also potentially also the algorithm you're using to actually be sending, you know, coins back and forth as well too, right? So, you know, if I have like bad channels, like some like very like dead end area of the graph, I, you know, I might as well not really start, right? So I think that's the number one thing to basically like, you know, make sure your channels are set properly. I think the other thing as well is like, you know, we've definitely seen a lot more kind of, kind of research in the past like a year or so in the pathfinding space in general, right? For example, like, you know, people know Renee Picard, who, uh, you know, uh, actually like kind of reinvigorated research in the past year or so, as far as like doing more kind of like, you know, planned, you know, flows as far as like making sure I'm planning the entire route versus like doing something a little more greedily. So I think that's also something that people look into as far as increasing the viability uh, there as well too. But you can say at the end of the day, it very much does depend on like the amounts too. So like, you know, you can say probably like one Satoshi is going to work, right? Because one Satoshi is like, you know, we have like people that have like two BTC channels now, one Satoshi is basically nothing. You know, as you start to get to that amount, and this is also kind of like some of what the uh, probability theory that he's been uh, driving shows that you kind of like have like a drop off in the probability of success there, right? But at the end of the day, like, you know, something like MPP lets you kind of like get around it because you're able to at least like at least split your channels off into like, you know, smaller amounts of to get to, to get to the other side. I think that's like a very you know, major thing. But I would say generally, like even talking to other people, you know, for example, exchanges like they're coming on like Kraken, Finex, whatever else, their reliability is, you know, pretty high uh, as far as like getting payments and also kind of like depends on the amount as well too. But definitely something obviously like we want it to like, you know, be a lot more uniform, right? It shouldn't just matter, you know, if you're in the right place, if, like, you know, it's the right time or something like that. It should just kind of, you know, generally work. But I think people are working on, on like a number of kind of like other things on the uh, spec level as far as you know, being able to like guide people, you know, better as far as implementations, you know, maybe kind of like, you know, sharing more information possibly, or maybe even like using other things like, you know, other, you know, algorithms, like for example, like right now we use something called like underwriting. People are going to be using things like packet searching in the future. But, you know, I would say definitely, I remember like, you know, we were at the Lightning Conference, you know, in 2019, you compare it then to now, I think it's like very, very, uh, you know, it's, it's a very different playing field as far as like, you know, reliability. I think also wallets are a lot better now as far as, you know, people, you know, doing things as far as like, you know, um, you're doing, doing notifications or kind of like, you know, background async processes as well too. So I, I would say, you know, things definitely have, you know, come a very long way. You know, are we where we really need to be to kind of like, you know, really reach that prime time audience? You know, maybe not quite yet, you know, as far as like making sure we're getting that level of liability. I think we're definitely, you know, getting a lot closer, right? But I think the other thing too, it very much depends on like, um, you know, what the topology looks like. So you can say, okay, very, very simple case. Let's say we store everything out. We basically, we have three nodes, right? And just A, B, C, everything would work. Obviously, that would be horrible for decentralization. Like, they get shut down, things like that as well, too. But so I think like, um, you know, I think certain, I know certain, you know, wallets, certain implementation, they also kind of like, you know, make sure they're opening channels to make sure like those like popular routes also there and available, right? So maybe like you have like a 99% success rate to like, you know, all the like, you know, existing, you know, companies, uh, public facing companies, you know, that are running on lining. Maybe you, maybe it drops down if you're going to pay like some other random node in the network itself, right? So maybe, you know, you don't really have any like, you know, pathfinding cash, you don't really know how to get there. But so it's definitely, it would depend on coming to those, some of those factors. But I would say like, we're definitely, you know, in a uh, much better place than we were a few years ago, just due to like a lot of new research. Also, I think just due to like existing maturity of implementation and also people understanding exactly things like the amount of liquidity. And for example, like, you know, I mentioned that a little bit earlier, it's almost send me 10, you know, like one BTC basically, and I only have half a BTC in inbound, the payment can just not work at all, right? Like, you know, no matter what you're doing, because I, I, I can't receive enough money, right? So I think sometimes, I think maybe that's all the case where people don't realize, 
okay, well, you know, I want to receive, you know, 10 BTC and I only have one inbound basically. I think we're working on making those tools a lot more easily as far as like giving people like, you know, access to better things like automation uh, and just general, you know, liquidity management as well too, because like, you know, you can't really just sit and forget a lightning node. You need to be doing something to it if you're trying to you know, be using a lot more serious basis. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think it comes down to how much work will it take to be an individual routing node operator? Like if you're just one person and you're not professionally doing it as a business, you just want to kind of do it for the self-sovereign reason. I think some of those users are seeing it like where even if they do have channels, they're still struggling to get that payment through and, and that, that size. So, it, but it's very confusing because some people see this issue and other people don't see it at all. So it's quite, yeah, it's, I guess it's unusual to me, but I guess it, comes down to who your channels are with and maybe if that other node doesn't have the right connections no, definitely. And that's something we're definitely still working on as far as like, you know, making it easier to like create software to manage nodes, right? For example, like, you know, we talk about automation, right? And that's something we're working on, like, you know, a bunch of Lightning Labs as far as like, giving people the ability to kind of like, you know, delegate securely kind of like automation of their node, maybe doing things like updating fees, opening channels, you know, closing from bad peers, things like that as well, too. So I think once that gets a lot easier, I think by the end of the year, we'll be like in a pretty good position as far as that itself. That'd be more of kind of like the, you know, easy button to forget. You know, for example, like, you know, let's say you get a new router today, like, you don't go into your router and like modify the routing table and look at like, you know, art packets, things like that. It just kind of works because you know you have net gear and you know, manage it properly like, we're not quite there yet as far as the lightning node implementation i think that's what we need to get to be as far as like plug and play like let just basically the router kind of like you know does you know what it needs to do versus like you take with every single like you know little uh, parameter to make sure things are working properly in your, in your network yeah that's fair um and want to chat a little bit about this whole ctv debacle which has really flared up recently and uh so i think there's different parts to I understand here like firstly is like do people want covenants do people want ctv and then what's the actual appropriate way to go about activation and was it too early so um maybe if you just want to start with some of your general thoughts on just covenants and ctv like are you broadly in favor of that what are your thoughts on just that first idea definitely you know as far as covenants period like me i'm all for them because i think like anyone that's kind of like you know done you know more serious kind of like you know protocol development on, on like bitcoin itself is kind of like you know sought the need for kind of like that extra level of like you know uh capability and kind of like power as well too but i think i think the one thing that obviously you know bitcoin is always like you know rightfully skeptical of is okay like you know how much is too much we've seen you know crazy things go on elsewhere basically we want to make sure like you know like, you can say like number one rule at the end of the day is like don't fuck with the money right like if you're doing whatever else don't make sure it doesn't actually like you know somehow cannibalize your short bitcoin you know it's, itself right and so i think that's one thing um i think it's kind of like, I think, an inevitability somewhat. Because I think in the past few years, people discovered, okay, well, if we had introduced, you know, this and this and this, just, you know, because of whatever else, them in combination can actually produce something that's basically like a, a fairly like powerful covenant, right? But I think, you know, I think one thing is happening over the past, like, uh, you know, a few months, I think people are all starting to kind of like, you know, update their mental models about covenants generally, right? Because you could say, you know, probably like maybe ask someone like, you know, about Bitcoin, you know, five years ago, what about covenants? Like, oh, no, that's scary. We should never do that. It's going to like destroy the system, right? I think now people are like, oh, well, like, you know, I understand them more and I still kind of like understand exactly like how they work generally. I think one thing that people don't really know is like if you look at something like CSV and CLTV, kind of like you can say the two things credited along with like SegWit as far as making lightning possible, those are actually covenants themselves, right? But they're just very limited covenants, right? So CSV and CLTV basically require that the transaction has a particular lock time, a particular sequence number, right? The sequence and the lock time is actually where the, the time lock aspect is is, um, is implemented, right? So I can I can use lock time without using CLTV, but CLTV says the spend transaction must have a particular lock time, right? I think it's a very thing because like um. Yes, in my opinion, I think like you know, covenants are kind of like the more like the natural way that you'd express more advanced contracts on Bitcoin generally, right? I think the cool thing about it is like you know, rather than like you know having this crazy you know account system of like you know anything can be calling anything else, your reentrancy, all these like you know different random calls, you basically know exactly what's going on, right? So covenants effectively let you you know encode like a state machine on chain that must be followed for the protocol, right? You can say there's kind of like you know two different uh, you know types of covenants, right? Something like CTV is like what it's kind of like a, what you can call like a, like an enumerable covenant. We basically it must be finite, right? So I can say okay, well you know send to this address, it's 
doing this and this and this, but it must end in n steps, right? Because you basically must, you know, basically create the entire introduction graph and then compile that down to a single hash and then put that into the chain, right? There's other covenants, what people call kind of like a recursive covenants, which are kind of like, you know, self-propagating, right? Meaning that like, okay, let's say I want to have a covenant that says, well, you know, you can send this, this BTC, but it must be an even value. That's like a, you know, trivial, you know, Tory covenant, right? At that point, it would say, okay, well, you can send the Bitcoin elsewhere, but I'll, I'll also kind of like, you know, encode that same, uh, you know, restriction basically into this other output itself, right? But I think the one thing uh, that like, I think people, you know, get wrong as far as covenants, like, you know, people kind of like have this like, um, you know, fear as far as like, you know, gray goo covenants, right? It was kind of like the covenant that's going to like, you know, take over all the Bitcoin and kind of destroy everything else itself, right? And like maybe, you know, prevent people from using it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if, if I'm like, you know, me as a receiver, I generate the receiving address, right? If I don't want the covenant to basically go into that receiving address itself, I don't add that capability, right? So someone can't force me to accept Bitcoin that has a covenant, you know, as part of the basic restriction. I think it's a very important thing. For example, like, you know, the covenant can't somehow like, you know, leak into another output and like have this like viral process and destroy the Bitcoin. Like that's, that's not possible, right? So I think that's one thing that, you know, people, you know, miss out on. But Covenants generally, I think it's, I think, yes, I think it's inevitability. I, I can say, like, I think probably like one of the um, discussions around, like, aside of like, like, should it be done? It's like, okay, well, you know, how should it be done? Should we have the more kind of like, restricted version or should we go for like the full on, you know, mega powerful, omnipotent covenant type uh, process itself, right? Like, I guess I'm more of like, the point of view that I think we should try the very, very restricted version first. I think some people say, okay, well, we should do the kind of like the more powerful version, but like, you know, it's unclear to me if, if people are like, you know, this open arms about the very like restricted version, how can the more powerful one really even have like a, a chance at all, right? Because like, you know, it's also the thing, should we go from like zero to hundred or should we go from zero to one and then see what that looks like itself? But obviously there's kind of questions around, okay, what's the timeline like? What's activation look like? Do we want the particular thing? What are the alternatives? Things like that as well too, which I think, you know, people will start to like, you know, kind of like hash out and start to like, you know, consensus on it's kind of like the greater thing of like okay you know should we go to the super duper version we're kind of trying something a little more restricted first some people want to go to the super version some people go with the restricted one i would say that's probably where the developers lie as far as like okay i think most developers think it's a good idea covenants generally they maybe disagree on okay should we try to like do the best thing possible right now and you know, incorporate all the feedback and have the most generalized version or should we do kind of like do the very incremental one you know give us some like additional capabilities on the bitcoin level but also like not create something maybe we don't really understand fully yeah and so if you could help just explain for listeners what kind of benefits covenants and let's say CTV as an example or covenants could bring for let's say lightning, like as an example, could it help with scalability or could it help with people self-custodying their coins in some way? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would say definitely, right? Yeah, so like covenants let you kind of like restrict exactly like what the spending type should be like in the future, right? So for example, like in, in CTV's example, I say, okay, well, you, know, you can spend this output, but the lock time must be blah. And that means you can only spend it five days from now, right? And that kind of like, you know, lets you uh, do a bunch of number of things. So that's probably like one of the biggest things like, as far as like the missing, I think right now, the two of like the Bitcoin protocol developer, covenants in general. So like, let's say on the lightning end of things, like, um, so one thing that happens to like, you know, people are aware, like, um, you know, so like every HLC is actually a new output in the, in the commitment transaction itself, right? So like, let's say I have like a thousand pending payments, those would actually all be pending payments in the commitment transaction itself, right? And so like, and as people know, every time you add new output, it basically increases the number of bytes in the transaction itself, which makes it a lot more expensive, right? So let's say like, you know, I had some, my node blew up and I had 5,000 pending payments on Lightning itself, right? Those would actually all be manifested on chain at the exact same time. I basically need to pay for them all at once, right? So like, you know, let's say we can look at exactly what something like CTV would do. Instead of like, you know, having all the outputs on that top level, basically, I can have one output, right? And then one output says, okay, well, eventually all 
all of these HLCs will be unrolled on chain, right? And it's really cool. For example, because like, you know, HLCs have like a, like a timeout, right? A time lock, right? So I can basically construct the tree such that like, you know, HLCs that have a sewer time lock are manifested sooner, basically, and everything else just keeps going. So it's kind of a thing where like, let's like, you know, I go on chain, I have three outputs, I have, you know, my balance, your balance, I have this like, you know, HTLC uh, covenant, right? So let's, let's say a few blocks passes, I say, okay, well, I'm going to like, you know, unroll two HTLCs, put them on chain to timeout, and then everything else goes back into this other, you know, output, right? I can continue to do that over time, basically. This is really cool because now rather than me paying for that chain fee at that particular time, it was very, very high fees. I can kind of like defer that chain fee in the future and then also make sure that I'm only putting as much data onto the chain as I really want to. So that's kind of like, you know, one example there, right? And that's also based on like what's effectively, you know, a very simple construct of being able to commit to what the future transaction should look like in the future. And one other thing that really gets to like, make things a lot, think a lot more turbocharged is the existence of taproot, right? So basically like using this, I can basically commit to kind of like end different paths in the actual taproot tree itself. And each path can also commit to another uh, path as well too. So like, let's say, okay, I want to have like the five, five Satoshi provide, you know, HLC unroll. I can do this branch. Let's say I want to do the 20 Satoshi HLC unroll. I can do this branch as well too. So it's kind of like a very useful thing to, to be able to kind of like, you know, provably, uh, you know, defer the creation of future outputs uh, in the future. And, you know, people have used this, for example, to like improve, you know, things like self-custody with kind of the concept of like a vault, which basically effectively lets you kind of like, you know, have like a set of different keys. Maybe one key is required to move, you know, coins on chain. But if you maybe like, you know, you kind of like have this other case, we have like another key and that key is lets you kind of like, you know, move the coins, but maybe in a more restricted manner as well too. So I definitely say it's like a very useful construct generally. I think people disagree on in terms of like, you know, how powerful should the initial version actually be? Uh, and it's kind of like a very difficult question to answer because you can say like, you know, there's no, you know, central governing body of Bitcoin. It's kind of like individuals, you know, changing information, making decisions, seeing what's going on here. And it's the thing where it's like, you know, I think people sometimes want a more orderly process. I don't think it's ever going to be orderly, right? It's always going to be somewhat messy, right? You know, having this kind of discussion in public, basically. We have to just talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right? So, yeah, it would be nice to have, like, the scheduled software, you know, every nine months or whatever in the past. Maybe we have, like, a little more coordination. But, you know, I think it will always be somewhat messy. But I think, you know, what's important is, like, we always, like, learn things from that mess, right? As you can say, okay, you know, 2017, Segwit itself, you know, Taproot, things like that as well, too. So I think, like, we'll get better over time. But it's not going to be, you know, as they say, like, you know, one does not simply change Bitcoin itself, right? But I think, you know, I think. The, to me, I think the positive thing is like, now I think people are like are discussing like what type of covenants versus should we do covenants at all, which I think is a massive you know uh, just pro progression and kind of like the general discourse of the level, level also the level of education of any individual as well too. I think there's also some questions around like okay you know um, exactly what's the activation mechanism you know should it be speedy trial should it be whatever else. So I think it was kind of the thing where I think you know Taproot somewhat kind of like sidestepped that conversation by just kind of like doing something kicking the can down the road with you know something like speedy trial and like getting it working. But people never fully answer that question. You know. Will the question be answered like uh, in, in a general uh, manner? Maybe not. I think it's always going to be okay. The next particular thing, because you can say like just, just because we did something in the past doesn't mean we'll do it again in the future, right? There's no requirement that we use any other thing, you know, as well. Like we, we maybe won't use BIP nine, maybe something else entirely as well too. So I think that's kind of like the you know the rough consensus process of kind of like, you know hanging on like seeing like what's going on and moving things uh, you know from that direction. So I think yeah. some people also like um, don't feel like there's an urgency, like there's not urgent either. Okay, well Bitcoin's perfect, whatever else. I think other individuals kind of like you know recognize that like okay, Bitcoin's getting bigger, things are moving progressively. Uh, progressing as well too but so are the adversaries adversaries are becoming more targeted right they're doing you know energy fud they're doing they're funding stuff you know change the code with things like that as well too they're getting you know more you know uh bold themselves as well too maybe bitcoin also needs to kind of like be able to like you know give and arm the user with their own you know self-custody uh you know sovereign kind of like, you know tooling with the system as well too so i would say that i think that's like the counter argument to okay well we can take 15 years like okay well you know 
15 years from now, like what's, what's the lifestyle going to be really be looking like? I think like also like in the past year or two, all of a sudden Bitcoins are really just kind of like, you know, rocketed to like the global, uh, you know, standpoint. You know, people talking about, okay, people using Bitcoin in Ukraine, you know, are they getting around sanctions? Are they doing it for oil or else? It's kind of a thing where it's like, I think, you know, we, like you for you, you've been around for a while. Like, every time, every now you, you kind of go through these events where things accelerate a lot, right? I think only like looking back at it, you realize, okay, well, 2017 was crazy. 2013 was crazy. I think we're in one of those errors right now as well, too. So I think it's like, I think there's a somewhat of like, a, you know, risk of like, us not doing enough to like make sure Bitcoin can scale or can you know scale at the either at the transactional level and scale from the users as far as their own self sovereignty and custody as well too. So obviously there's a balance to be struck. Uh, you know I don't really have the answers, but I think there's kind of like some parameters that people you know are considering as far as like what this, when that, uh, and things like that before. I think also I think I would say probably amongst developers, I think you know people recognize Taproot as something that was like something you know somewhat accepted basically as far as like a very important step forward which is why i think people didn't really want to propose other things at that particular time right because they didn't want to take away from that attention of like getting things getting things getting the momentum things done. yeah now i think that's exactly but now i think in some people are like okay well you know are we gonna be doing other stuff and like you know is there like a next list is there a this and this and this probably not necessarily but i think there are things that people think are interesting and we've been discussed for a while and we would want to see you know actually being put on bitcoin either because they help you know uh you know higher layers because they give you more custody solutions or because they just like make this more generally you know resilient uh, as well so. gotcha yeah so i think the argument then is does it help scalability? Does it help things like self-sovereignty? And if it helps those things, then maybe that's the argument, right? Like, so theoretically, if you, if it allows and speeds the creation of vaults, then that's a good thing for self-custody. Or if it allows the massive creation of many new lightning channels using CTV. Channels. Yeah, exactly. or, or even like you were mentioning the congestion control case where you're trying to gracefully shut down the lightning node as opposed to like a very rough kind of abrupt kind of it's like yeah, you know it's like having a, it out. it's yeah. like having abs technology on the car allow you to gracefully slow down instead of like exactly like versus flying out the windshield like <laughs> right oh like so yeah, you know yeah. you could sort of see an argument there for some of these things but i think it seems to me as you know from my standpoint it seems like the developer community is seems to be very on board with ctv with certain notable exceptions to be clear but the users have not been brought on board and perhaps that was the maybe that was the mistake is trying to push it before the ecosystem really wanted it right with segwit and taproot it was very clear the ecosystem overwhelmingly wanted this thing but with ctv i think maybe there's maybe more work to be done to actually get people on board and maybe that's an education journey and there might be people who are just like no we don't even want that right but uh, i think that's maybe that's where I'm, I'm sort of seeing it where i'm kind of mildly pro ctv but i'm not like i i think the pushing the speedy trial at that point was a mistake and i think it was too much too soon so I would say, like, I think developers have known about the concept for a while, for maybe like three or four years now, right? As far as like, you know, is the thing, you know, potentially coming to a else, I can definitely see how someone that like wasn't following, you know, things like Plep5 and like the low level mailings for else, they're like, okay, what's this thing all of a sudden here? So, I mean, so it's kind of a thing where, you know, maybe there was too much, you know, initial early developer, you know, kind of like, you know, outreach and education, not enough for like the wide ecosystem as well, too. But yeah, so it's always kind of like, you know, a balance somewhat uh, as far as like, you know, which order you do, 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 do things in generally, you know, I think that you can't like, please everybody we can at least try like you know take stock of exactly you know where things are somewhat uh you know defective as far as like you know more clear communication or something like that as well too but i will say generally like you know maybe this was 
caught some people somewhat off guard or they feel like it's a kind of like a more non-traditional approach. But I think generally, like, I think we look back on it as, okay, this is good because people actually further, further conversation of like, you know, what is, what are covenants? How do we expand Bitcoin in a safe way? You know, how do we actually, you know, have more advanced, you know, capabilities in Bitcoin itself without compromising the core system? So it's kind of a thing where, um, you know, maybe the initial approach wasn't exactly what people would envision, but, you know, at the same time, maybe it's nice people to mix things up every now and then and say, okay, well, at least that's what we don't like. That's what we like, right? So, you know, so now people know exactly maybe how they want things to be presented or uh, exactly what they think the right communication outlets are generally. But um, but I think we'll look back on it as like a positive event, even in the short term. People feel like it's a lot of, you know, uh, discussion. Oh, that's just, that's healthy, basically. I think people will need to be changing this information as well, too. And not everything needs to be seen as like something uh, that's like very, uh, that has like a negative motive, generally. I think people like, I think people like oh, it's an attack. Well, it's almost like they want to do something. If you're not ready yet, cool. You know, if no one's ready, nothing happens at the end of the day as well, too. But things aren't always going to look like they uh, looked in the past. But. Yeah, sure. And also, obviously, I've got to ask you, even though they're not, obviously, any provide is not a competitor in that sense to CTV. But obviously, as a lightning guy, and obviously, as one of the you were one of the co-authors of the L2 white paper, so that's E-L-T-O-O for listeners, and that's uh, with yourself and Christian Decker and Rusty. So obviously, I'm sure you guys would also be very keen to see any prevout come into Bitcoin to enable L2 and enable channel factories and all of these other fantastic things. So I'm curious your thoughts there on whether you see any prevout as being higher priority than, say, CTV, or are they in competition, or how are you seeing that? No, really good question. Obviously, like, you know, I think, you know, any prevout would be super dope. Like, you know, I even worked on like a very basic version back in 2015 with Lightning White Paper. You know, that was kind of like the original proposed solution, no input. SegWit happened. Like, you know, I don't really care like exactly what it is. I want the capability. So SegWit it was, boom, we, we did everything else. So that like it's history. Now we're, we're you know, using Lightning and things like that, right? No, so I think it's definitely an interesting question as far as like people always say, like, what's next, right? Is there some kind of like, you know, queue where you get in line, like, you know, because you were there first? That's the very next thing. Not necessarily, but I think people like also respect somewhat like the Age of ideas as far as like, you know, it's sitting around for scrutiny wise, like no one like, you know, really you know, striking it down, things like that as well, too. So I definitely think, you know, something like any provide super, super useful, even like outside of the L2 concept, for example, like that would let us do something like, you know, do like an RBF on my financial transaction, right? But today, if I do that, that invalidates the, invalidates the community transaction because it takes ID changes, right? So I think it's once again, it's a very useful primitives for like general, like off chain, you know, transaction creation, because like typically you are making these kind of like, you know, change transactions. If any one of them gets invalidated, everything that's, that's you know, uh, pretty bad general, right? But so I would say, you know, there definitely is some overlap with CTV. For example, like, you know, APL lets you uh, do kind of like a, a similar type of covenant, but which is like slightly different than that. Okay, like, you know, what it lets you do, you can, you can basically embed a signature in the output. And that signature then commits to exactly what the transaction should be itself, which is very, very different from what we do today. Typically, the signatures are actually in the inputs, in the witness. This is where they say, okay, well, I'll basically pre-create a signature that's going to be in the uh, output itself. And I can do that because now, because any proof out lets me like not commit to the uh, ticket ID, lets me commit to the script itself. That's something that's possible there, right? So you can say it's maybe the excited way of like achieving some of the properties. There are some differences between the two as far as like what's really, uh, you know, possible as well. But I would say, I think the one difference between something like in, uh, any proof out and CTV is that like, you know, CTV has a much smaller design space, right? Right. Uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, okay, you know, check the transaction hash, make sure it matches. And it prove out because it's like a SIG hash, uh, contract and SIG hashes are kind of like a somewhat of a hairy you know, thing in Bitcoin itself. There's kind of like a larger design space of it generally, right? So like, I guess for historically, I, some people like, you know, the last thing people working on that need to prove out is like, for example, like, you know, it lets you, you know, it's kind of like it has like an anxiety property of like letting you effectively like replay a signature, right? So once again, because the signature doesn't commit to the TXID, only commits to the script. If I have two different, um, you know, outputs that are actually the same script, I, maybe I reuse an address. In theory, if you don't, you know, mind things properly, someone can basically replay that same signature and like, you know, move those funds again as well too. So, so like, you know, you can say before even th- you know, things like Tapper wrote up, people were working on a lot on kind of like making, making that a lot safer basically you know, by maybe requiring you to like, you know, use a particular output type or kind of like requiring you to like, 
like, you know, show on chain, this is like a very specific thing as well too. So, you know, because people were kind of like wanted to like resolve that like, uh, you know, intricacy, things got a little bit more uh, involved or complex on the end of outside as well too. So it's one of the things where I think it's super cool, but I think, you know, people were somewhat afraid, you know, you can say rightfully of kind of like this like unintended replay consequence, which ended up, you know, making the proposal a little bit more um, involved just to make sure we had a safety primitive, which is obviously a really good thing because, we, you know, we don't like to give people like foot guns so they lose all their Bitcoin or all their money or something like that, right? So I think, you know, to me, you, if you ask me, I would say both. I think they're both, you know, super useful, but it's kind of a thing. Do people have like the appetite and energy uh, to actually do both at once? I think it's interesting because like there's something called like, you know, BitBnine that people use in Bitcoin, which is basically kind of like, you know, what people use to deploy soft forks, right? BitBnine actually supports concurrent soft forks uh, being proposed, right? But it's never been done in the past, mostly because people are somewhat, you know, serial in their, um, in their like review thing, but also because like in the past, you know, Bitcoin D was kind of like the main vector that people had soft forks in, right? And they kind of like, you know, uh, people kind of like gravitated toward one particular thing. So it could be the case, you know, maybe in the future people would just say, okay, well, let's try both. Whichever one sticks, sticks. So obviously maybe that's going to be a little bit messier than what people know is kind of like being the next particular thing. But, you know, maybe that'd be something in the future where people say, okay, see, okay well, you know, which chain is going to be more valuable? The one that has A or the one that has B? And maybe people activate B because they they feel like that's gonna like actually be better for the chain moving forward as well too. But um, so it's definitely like a difficult thing. You can say like in a typical company, maybe like a PM or the CEO would say, okay, boom, this is what we're doing, right? But we don't we don't necessarily have that because it's kind of like a decentralized system. We have to kind of like you know weigh exactly the different trade offs things like that as well too. And I think we'll be I think we'll make steady progress. It's just we'll just kind of like be in this intermediate phase of exactly you know picking what's here or what's there. But I will say right now you can say CTV is probably more finalized than something like APO, which is because we still have some open questions as far as the design, things like that. People say, okay, maybe we don't really care about certain uh, items as far as like, making it slightly safer. Maybe we can just boom and then ship it. Like obviously I had implementation like, you know, five, you know, like in 2015, would that, is that something that we could have shipped? No, because, you know, it was insecure for several reasons. They didn't really have all the vetting and things like that as well too. But I think it'll, I think it'll happen eventually. I think the other thing as well too, is that like, um, you know, the L2 construct isn't necessarily uniquely enabled by just any prevout. If you had sudden other kind of like primitives that let you kind of like you know, do a similar, you know, kind of like replacement of the states on chain, you could also realize that contract as well too. So I think generally you can say, you know, if you ask someone like Decker, he's like, well, you know, whatever lets me, you know, do this thing that I've been working on, you know, or that I've had ideas for the past, you know, several years, you know, maybe it's any proof route, maybe it's something else. You know, for example, maybe CTV doesn't happen. Maybe something that's like maybe, you know, slightly more decomposed version of CTV happens, right? So for example, like, you know, CTV basically says like check, temper, verify, right? But what if I had, in that, what that does is it basically lets you say, okay, well, you know, construct the transaction hash itself. And then make sure it matches a particular value. So someone's like, okay, well, what if we just had a optx hash opcode, right? And I can basically use that opcode to push the stack, the TX onto the stack, and then do an equal verify to combine those two together, right? So it's kind of thing where, you know, even though there are these proposals, maybe won't ultimately be what's there. For example, even with Taproot, like, you know, there was a time where there's something else called, like, you know, op Merkle branch verify, right? Which is basically going to be like a generic way to verify uh, Merkle branches in Taproot itself, right? And then people say, okay, well, what if we could combine Schnorr, you know, and Merkle branch verify? And this like script tree thing basically into one. That's what we have for Taproot, right? So maybe we'll have a, a similar kind of like you know more um, you know compromise uh, you know contract in the future that basically gives people like the best of both worlds. Uh, it's kind of like too early to call. But yeah, that's all. That's something that happened in the past. So you gotcha. know, I wouldn't rule that out. And, okay. Or maybe someone combines CTV and improve out together, and that's kind of like what happens in, uh, in set or something. So yeah, right. And so I, I think the other point to understand for us here is that in terms of What's the imperative here? Why should we try this? What's the use of this? It could also be that even just as we look at the world today, literally the entire mm-hmm. world could not onboard to Lightning today in a non-custodial way. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it like mm-hmm. it would just blow out the yeah. UTXO set. Like it basically, in order for yeah, every yeah, yeah. like like the math, yeah, like just the for every yeah. person to have a channel, it would just take like years. 
But if we had, let's say, CTV, if we had any Preval, then maybe it starts to become more feasible for this kind of thing to actually get more and more people actually being self-sovereign, potentially. So I think that's part of the argument here. And I think that's where some people are saying, no, don't change Bitcoin because it's fine as it is. But then on the other hand, you could also say, well, Bitcoin and Lightning as it is today will not scale self-custodial or non-custodial to the world right now. Right, just exactly. the numbers yeah. just don't work right now. Yeah, yeah, like the math just doesn't add up, basically, right? As far as like the block size, you say so size, something, something like that. So I think that's definitely like a very like you can say like a worthy lens. Like okay, like does it help self sovereignty? Does it help like you know uh, non custodial application? Also, does, does it help scalability as well too? I think that's kind of like a worthy you know angle to like look at different proposals together. Obviously, like you know um, you need to drill into every single one of those. But I think if something like ticks a lot of those boxes, it should be like a maybe. I mean, is it a yes? You know, yes is difficult, but like a maybe like looks interesting, looks cool. I think it's definitely something to consider, basically. And you know, the thing as well is that like uh, I think if we're, if we're able to kind of like you know make steady gains in that direction, it doesn't need to be like five times a year. Maybe it's like a few times you know uh, over the course. Maybe it's like you know before the next halving or something like that. I think that just kind of like you know shows the world even okay, Bitcoin can evolve itself basically, and also make sure it's going for that greater goal, making sure we're able to adopt all these new users as well too. Because if you like, I feel like now compared to like you know many times in the past, there's so many people kind of like you know on the cusp of Bitcoin adoption. They know where it is. You know, they're not you know they know like they're not like falling victims like the energy or like the you know drug but else they kind of maybe have like a very direct use case in their own lives maybe like they kind of like you know, realize that like all happening around us like is something that's kind of like a very you know historical event basically as far as like the usd not really being you know where it was in the past people looking at other kind of like of currencies as well too so i think it's definitely like we're, we're at a very interesting point i think adoption wise uh and obviously it would be a shame if somehow things just like slipped us by because whatever reason um so i think people need to like you know recognize okay you know bitcoin is a thing right now but like is it like a, a given I would say not necessarily, right? And I think I think if we, if we think it's a given, people get very complacent. They, you know, they kind of like, you know, rest their laurels. They're not really, you know, going after like new opportunities or new protocol development or roles. You know, we still need to like continuously, you know, prove the system out, you know, every day and make sure it's also ready for the next generation as well, which I think is a very important thing to consider. All right. Well, look, I think that's pretty much a good spot to wrap up here. So uh, what can people uh, look out for? You know, just, I guess, the final question, what can people look out for from, uh, from you guys and from Lightning Labs? And uh, what, what are you looking for in terms of feedback on, let's say, Taro and things? Uh, that's a good question. So yeah, you know, people, so I published the blip, the bips on the mailing list, uh, you know, uh, last month or so, you know, got a bunch of really good feedback. I've been also making a bunch of like new updates there. You can like look at that at like, you know, roast beef, uh, get the com slash roast beef slash bips and kind of find my branch. Basically anyone like that has like, you know, answers or, uh, you know, kind of like feedback, definitely like, you know, look for feedback there. I'm also on IRC. On, on Libera, like Pound Pound Taro. You can, you can check out there as far as people talking about, you know, Taro, things like that. You know, there will be cool code being dropped, you know, very soon. I think sooner than people, uh, you know, think possibly. And that's a like code to actually issue the assets, transfer them, things like that as well, too. One thing I didn't touch on uh, as directly is that, like, you know, obviously we want to get on Lightning itself. But Lightning needs kind of like an upgrade to Taproot first, right? So that needs to happen as far as like upgrading Lightning to Taproot first, uh, which is also a very important thing as far as like privacy. Also, using like PTLCs, which combined, can be combined DLCs, things like that as well. I think beyond that, we definitely have some really cool things in store. Uh, you know, for things like, you know, pool and loop. And also kind of like uh, one thing that I'm really excited about is uh, kind of like, you know, bringing Lightning closer to the web, something we made called LNC, which is kind of like a way to kind of like, you know, give you like a very like, you know, uh, JavaScript native way to kind of like, you know, drive a node securely from the browser, which I think is a really cool thing. Because all of a sudden now that people know about things like LTI, HTTP 402, I think that's really going to like change a lot of the way people actually, you know, interact on uh, on, on websites and use money today uh, generally, right? I don't know if you saw, but I remember like Marty Bent, maybe like a week or so ago, like activated the Lightning paywall on his blog, which is like a really cool thing. It's very, you know, you can say like maybe the UX like wasn't really quite there. I think kind of like you know, show people the glimpse of I paid stats, it refreshed, boom. There was no Wall Street Journal, fifty dollar a year subscription fee with my credit card. 
uh, what's the code, blah, blah, blah. All that is kind of like a click and go. I think that has the potential to really, you know, number one, show people like, you know, what Lightning is uniquely capable of, and also them show them potential of something like Bitcoin, which is like this, like independent money, you know, independent of everything else. So there's probably a few things, obviously, um, you know, have a bunch of things coming on the spec side of things as far as like, the tapper stuff itself, being able to upgrade channels, uh, generate the privacy improvements. Um, so, you know, definitely a lot of stuff to be working on and really excited to be in this position. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Lalo. It was great to chat with you. Great. Thanks so much. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 375. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.